So our first reading this morning comes from the book of Genesis, uh, chapter 2, page 4, very easy to find in our Bibles today, although if your fingers and thumbs are like mine, it might not be. But there we are. Um, and get there quickly, because actually we have a very short reading from Genesis. So we are in chapter 2, and we're reading verses 15 to 17, and then we move on quite rapidly to chapter 3, verse 17. So chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. Then move forward to chapter 3, verse 17. To Adam, God said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. This is the word of the Lord. Now, if you are able, please stand for the gospel reading. And we move forward in our Bibles to page 915. And we read from St. Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is tested in the wilderness. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, People do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. God, be in my mouth and in my speaking. Be in our hearts and in our thinking. Amen. 
Well, thank you so much for your welcome. It's always so lovely to be here. It's a, it's a real delight, so I really appreciate it. And, and thank you for all that you're doing in nurturing life here, um, alongside one another here in Sea Salter. So, you're quite intimidating. Did you know that? Coming here is always one of those, oh no, <laughs> moments. So, uh, to help me stay focused this morning, I challenged myself to sum up what I wanted to say in four words. Lent, life, truth, and hope. There we go. No, not really. <laughs> so um, I, think, I think there might be just a, a, an Ash Wednesday type in this image. Any of you had ashing on your forehead this Wednesday? It's wonderful, that moment, isn't it? Really good. Um, that's the start of Lent. Lent, from the Old English, lengthen, meaning spring. And it's the opportunity for the church to lead the way in reminding people that abstinence and discipline is not about being boring and a killjoy. They actually lead to increased joy and deeper peace than the world can give. And Lent brings us closer to life in all its fullness, that wonderful phrase from John 10.10. Lent is about remembering the practices of self-denial and generosity that lead to life in all its fullness. Now, Jesus went to the wilderness. I've got a wilderness picture. We don't have this at St. Alfred's, you see, in the town, so I'm <laughs> making the most of it. Okay, thank you. That's the back backdrop for a while now. This is my 44th Lent alive, so like many of you, I've heard this story a few times and isn't it great when you're reading something and something new reflects, uh, jumps out at you? And this year, I was struck with how dangerous the temptations are. I'm so used to reading them symbolically or spiritually. But as I was thinking about them more closely, they're all quite deadly. Firstly, eating stones as bread would be pretty dangerous. And we are much more aware now of the dangers of eating that which does not nourish us. Though some of us still struggle with gluttony and edible temptations. And at St. Alphage, we're proud to host an Alcoholics Anonymous week weekly meeting. Many of us, perhaps here, have first-hand experience of the tragedy of consuming something which is not bringing us life. Then secondly, trying to fly from the top of the mountain would not end well. Humans are incredible. Athletes, artists, scientists. I did put parents in there, but I've taken that out, I see. But anyway, we demonstrate amazing capacities that are being expanded all the time. But fundamentally rejecting creaturely identity as human beings, and not, in this case, being a bird, would not bring life, but death. And the final temptation is more subtle, but the most dangerous of all. Worshipping Satan represents turning away from whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable as St. Paul writes in Philippians 4, chapter 8, verse 8. 
It is about choosing death, choosing, following Satan would be choosing death and not life. And for me, that resonated with Matthew 12, 32. Whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. In other words, to call evil that which brings life is so serious that Jesus calls it unforgivable. Which brings us to truth. In John 8.32, Jesus says, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I saw a slightly shorter version of this. The truth will set you free, but first it will make you miserable. (laughs) And while we might want to protest, actually... We know that this is often the case. So often, we would rather not know the truth about things because it challenges us. This year, the Archbishop of Canterbury's Lent book is the wonderful Saying Yes to Life. I've got a really big picture written out here. Yeah. Um, and it's by Dr. Ruth Valerio. Have any of you heard of the um, charity Arosha? Have you heard of the... Yeah, it's wonderful. Um, it's been around for a long time. Uh, Ruth Valerio was the director of that. She's now the director of Tear Fund. If you possibly can, do read this book. I mean, seriously, read it. It's such an important book. And it speaks the truth that we need about our climate even though this truth is hard to hear. It is one of the many voices telling the truth about our reality in a clear, faith-filled and hope-oriented way. And it's completely grounded in the Christian faith and looks through the uh, the Genesis account in chapter 1 of Genesis, a creation quote just from the book, too often the doctrine of creation is divorced from redemption. But as the Kenyan theologian Samsu Gitau expresses it, there can be no redemption without creation. Many of you will have heard that at General Synod last week, the Synod voted to pursue a goal for the whole Church of England, that includes us, to be carbon neutral by 2020. That's the one, 2030. (laughs) Wishful thinking, thank you, Anne. (laughs) Don't get me on the numbers. (laughs) And just in summary, in brief, the three key dangers facing God's creation are a heat rise of over 1.5 degrees, loss of biodiversity across our whole planet, and plastic pollution. If you want to know more about that today, I'm going to be saying a little bit more at the 11 o'clock service, but it's all in here. <laughs> I'm not on commission. But, um, and there's plenty of resources for you to find out more about those three particular things which are the truth about what is most threatening our world, God's creation, of which we are a part. 
and that this Lent, we are being invited to consider and look at the truth of that in order to bring life in all its fullness, saying yes to life. But what about the final word, hope? Well, there is a lot of hope. And this book has lots of really hopeful stories, really inspiring stories. As I said, um, the book looks through Genesis 1, and each chapter corresponds to one day of creation and includes um, an online interview with someone in a particular field of research or a part of the church from around the world. And every interview that Ruth conducts concludes with asking, as she did at the talk um, in St. Paul's last Monday where uh, the diocese invited us to attend and Bishop Rose was there, every interview concludes with asking, what gives you hope? And Archbishop Tabo Makgoba of Cape Town in South Africa talks about the hope he sees in the energy and focus of young people who are setting such a good example of commitment to restoring the right balance in our environment, who are making changes in their own lives and advocating life-giving practices for their communities and for our world. And that coincides with my um, experience as well. In, in our family, it's my nine-year-old who has led the way, helping us to reduce the meat that we eat at home. And it's been really interesting that in her choice about that, that's sort of impacted the rest of us. If we have eyes to see it and courage to accept it, of course we can see that there is growing energy and awareness in our country which gives us hope. We could be world leaders in this. Surely you've all seen the electric car adverts on television. That are, Every car advert now is all about that. Um, yes, I'm able to watch a bit of telly occasionally. <laughs> there is huge expertise and creative solutions that could deliver the green revolution that we need in our industry, transport, and economy. Many of you, I know, have worked in those fields, in that area. And the best of the internet, the best of the internet, <laughs> means that we can be more informed and connected in solidarity with those who are living in ways to bring life in all its fullness to the creation and our global neighbours, not just during Lent, but as a permanent change that says yes to life in a deeper way, engaging with the creation that God has blessed us with. Around a third of the global population adheres to the Christian faith. And in the book, Ruth writes of her hope that the sleeping giant of the church would awake and become more active in applying the implications of a creation-wide understanding of the gospel. Many of you, I know, connect with and support Christian Aid. We've got the, the quiz coming up. And one of their phrases, which I've always loved, is we believe in life before death. And their focus on, with others um, in CAFOD and Tear Fund as well, about climate justice. Our God is a God of justice. We know that the gospel ratios are encouraging 
just this morning, I was talking with Joe and I used the phrase again, being called to be salt and light. We are reminded that even a small action can have a big impact. And when the church combines these small actions and undergirds everything with prayer, again, you lead the way on this, we know that it can make huge societal changes for good. I want to finish with a final quote, and I'm so blessed that the weather was good this morning, but I was going to be here on my bike, even in the rain. Therefore, every action we choose to take that looks after this world, even when it's raining, or too hot, or inconvenient, or maybe more expensive, or not the usual thing to do and makes us look different, shows our wish to live in anticipation of the future that Jesus' death on the cross and the presence of his Holy Spirit guarantees. And we move towards the future glory that God will reveal through his creation. Lent, life, truth and hope. Thanks be to God. Amen.